Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. I wanted to give a quick update on the status of our sermon podcast. As we move from the separate campuses model back to a single unified church, we will be discontinuing separate podcasts for downtown, South Loop, and Wicker Park. Starting in August, we will be retiring the South Loop and Wicker Park podcasts and we will rebrand the downtown podcast as the primary Church of the Beloved sermon podcast. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with our sermons each week. You can find the podcast on most podcast platforms, and there's also a link on our website at cotb.life messages. God bless and have a great week. Good morning again. Um, it's nice to have everything like in person and live, even the scripture reading, so... And I want to say again, it's just it's such an amazing joy to be able to dedicate Tate into the arms of our loving God through the hands of his parents, his beloved parents. Um, today's Communion Sunday as well, which is why I have these elements here. For those persons that are here, in per, uh, here, if you did not receive the elements prior to service before coming in, they are available. I'm just going to ask you guys to uh, flag down one of the welcome folks uh, and they'll get that to you. Or if you want to just... There are, literally in a box right outside the door. For those of you who are joining us online, I'm going to ask if you could please have the bread and the cup that symbolizes the sacrifice of Christ ready. So we're going to celebrate communion together at the end of service today. And if you're tuning, on, tuning in for the first time, I'm Pastor Abe. I'm glad you're here with us. I want to tell you really quickly that if you text COTB to 97000 just, or go to our website, cotb.life, and you tap the connect with us button, you can... We'll get you connected with our church family. Um, I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, join with me in prayer as we dive into today's scripture passage. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, for sending one who looked at the kids running around and playing and, and wanting to be near him. Your son, thank you for bringing a Savior that said, Bring the kids to me. For they, as are we, beloved by you. May the words of my mouth forever be a conduit of your truth. And may this time be enlightening to your beloved children and satisfying to you, God. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Um, every week, as I sit down and start preparing uh, for the message to share with you. I, I do a few things. I thought I'd share. First thing I do always is pray. I pray a lot. I, mean, I pray very hard because <laughs> I understand that this is an awesome responsibility to share the gospel. And so it's not one I take very lightly. So how really start with God, just open up my eyes to the truth that you want me to share, what, what you intend for the beloved, your beloved children to hear this week. Second thing I do is I read. I read a lot. I read the scripture. I read um, commentaries. I read a lot of different information. The last thing I try to do before starting to write things down is listen. Listen to God. Listen to God through the voices of others, whether it's uh, podcasts, sermons, songs, differing opinions. I try to take all that information in to, to identify the big idea, the main point of the passage that's being focused on today. And today's big idea, the main point uh, for this passage is a pretty familiar one, but extremely important. It's simply this. 
We're the beloved of God because of Christ alone. That's what this passage is talking about. And, and attempting to add anything to this gospel, to this good news is wrong. Nothing else is desired. Nothing else is required. It is my faith alone, our faith in Jesus that makes us righteous in the eyes of God. And it's our faith in the death and resurrection of the Son of God that redeems us. This passage read today, and thank you so much for reading today, Hannah. This passage, Paul's telling us that we need to watch out for anyone or anything that tries to push a gospel plus faith. In other words, a faith that requires the gospel plus something else. In verse 2, it literally says, look out three times. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for the flesh mutilators. Dogs, evildoers, mutilators. If you turn to Psalms chapter 22, verse 16 and 18, you'll see that these warnings that Paul's giving... They're echoes of the same thing that King David wrote in Psalms. It says in verse 16 of 22, For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothes they cast lots. This psalm foreshadows dogs. It prophesies evildoers, people who are going to be gathered at the foot of the cross, gambling for Jesus' clothes, watching the blood drip from our Savior's hands, feet, and sides. Dogs, evildoers, mutilators. And as we unpack these 11 verses that were read, we see that these that we must watch out for, it turns out that these are folks who preach a gospel plus Religion, these are the dogs and evildoers and mutilators in the eyes of God. I have to say something, though. I, I, I need to reiterate. And it's something that most of you probably already understand. And this is for our pet owners and animal lovers out there. And as I learned this past week, we have a lot of dog owners at Beloved. This, at the picnic, it was kind of ridiculous. I think there, I almost feel like there are more dogs than there were people at the picnic. Uh, and so the dogs being referenced here... It's not the dog that you have waiting patiently for you at home, hopefully, unless they're ruining the house. Uh, or for those who are watching online, it's not the one maybe lovingly lying on your lap right now. Dogs back in the day were not pets. They were horrid animals. They were scavenger. Luke talks about how dogs would literally eat anything, like licking the sores off a dying man. Peter wrote about how dogs come right back to eat their own vomit, which... I think they still do. But anyway, dogs were just unfit for holy things. But to our dog owners out there who are listening, your dog is awesome. Your dog is wonderful, is beautiful, is not the type of dog we're talking about. Your dog is the exception, okay? Now, cats, eh. <laughs> but, but back to our passage, dogs, evildoers, and mutilators, these, these are not good things, okay? And, and, and it, honestly, it does seem like it should be pretty easy to identify these types of individuals and, and be able to avoid the espousers, the proclaimers of a gospel plus religion. It seems like it should be easy, but it turns out it's not. Because on the outside, they look like, and sometimes they are, you and me. In verse 3, Paul explains who the dogs and the evildoers and the mutilators are by explaining who they're not. It says in verse 3, for, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory of Christ, Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. 
So these folks are not the circumcisions. These folks are not the ones who worship the Spirit of God. They're not the ones who glory in Christ. They are the ones who, who have confidence, who put their confidence in their flesh. And what I want to do right now is look at two things from this passage very specifically for a second. Specifically, circumcision and flesh. And these words are important. First of all, circumcision is still an extremely big deal in Jewish culture. Cutting the foreskin off of a penis, it's not a small, it is a small thing, but it's, it's, it's a severe thing. It's very severe, and it's not just a physical issue. This is the means by which the Jews entered into a covenant relationship with God. Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 through 11, this is what it says. It says, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generation. This, this is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. God's promise to the entire nation of Israel, every single person, man, woman, girl, and boy, it was represented by this really uncomfortable act. But that act, it becomes mere mutilation if it doesn't include worship of the Spirit of God. If the circumcised do not glory in Christ, they're just vandalizing their body. When Paul says, for we are the circumcision, he wants us to understand that those who are the true circumcision are those who are under the new covenant with Christ, are those who are circumcised in the heart. Romans chapter, 28, verse 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 28 to 29 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is uh, circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. See, circumcision is the external representation of our internal transformation. Like, like today's dedication or, or, or the practice of baptism. They're external representations of an internal transformation. We don't perform them. We don't engage in them merely as outward acts. They're representations. Because without the inward change, without the metamorphosis within, it's just mutilation. The circumcision of one's heart is the act of the Holy Spirit. And it comes from God alone by Christ's redemptive act alone. That's circumcision. The second thing I really want to unpack a bit is Paul's reference to the flesh. Because I don't want folks to understand and think that Paul views flesh as just bad. And that this body we live in right now is just meant for evil. It's not his mindset. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 22, Paul says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So living in the flesh for Paul is a good thing. Living out uh, my ordinary life, it might keep me out of heaven for a little while longer, but it's still a good thing. Because flesh is not innately negative. It becomes innately negative. It becomes negative when it no longer leads to worship in the spirit of God. God, flesh becomes negative when it no longer leads to glory in Christ. Flesh becomes negative when it focuses on human achievement versus Jesus' joy. 
So the dogs and the evildoers and the mutilators, they, they are not the circumcision. They are not the ones who worship the Spirit of God. They are not the ones who glory in Christ. They are the ones who put their confidence in the flesh. So what does confidence in the flesh look like? That's where we can turn to verses 4 and 6. 4 to, four to 6. Because Paul lists out how he, more than anyone else, could absolutely say, I am confident in my flesh. How Paul could easily have focused on his own human achievement over Jesus' joy. Because Paul could have very easily put his confidence in, in rituals. He was circumcised on the eighth day as prescribed by Jewish law. He, he could have easily put his confidence on his, on his ethnicity because he was one of God's chosen people. He could have easily put his confidence in his, in his status because as a member of the tribe of Benjamin, Benjamin was a good tribe. It was a cool tribe, the best tribe. He could have easily put his confidence in, in his culture. You know, he, he called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. And what that really means is, is that he was a Hebrew who could actually speak Hebrew. Just to give you an example, I'm a Korean-American. I was born and raised in Chicago, and I can barely speak Korean. The way I, I say it is I have survival Korean. If you drop me off in Korea, I can find my way back to America. But that's basically all I can do with Korean. And I've been chastised on more than one occasion for my inability to speak Korean. Sorry, Ethan, I have no Korean. But... Paul is saying that unlike the Greek and Aramaic Jews, speaking Jews, he was a Hebrew who spoke Hebrew. He could have had his confidence in that. Paul could have had his confidence in the fact that he obeyed. He was obedient to the law. He could have had his confidence in his zeal for his faith. He was known for killing the Christians because he used to think that they were incorrect, that they were preaching the wrong thing. He could have easily put his confidence in any and all of these things. But that's not what faith looks for. That's not what the Son of God looks for when he says, be faithful. See, in verse 8, it says, For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. All these things, all these things that the world around us proclaims and considers essential, all these things that people around you are adding to the gospel of Jesus' redemptive sacrifice, all these things that could lead us to have more confidence in ourselves versus God, all these things are rubbish. Now, if you've been in the church for a while, you probably know that the word rubbish in the original Greek, it doesn't do it justice. The better translation would be like dung, excrement, poo. If the kids were here, it would be caca or whatever you use to talk about poo with children. Uh, all these things are poo. Rituals, ethnicity, rank, status, culture, zeal, obedience. These are not the things God directs us to for the sake of salvation. We're redeemed from death. We're, we're, our names are added to the book of life by the work of Christ alone. We're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. By his grace alone. See, it's not by our faith and our obedience. It's not by our faith and the color of my skin. It's not by faith and the amount of money I might have in my wallet. It's not by faith and my obedience. We are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And, and we obey. We have zeal. We practice our traditions because of our redemption, not for our salvation. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, 
Paul wrote, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The addition of conditions or, or requirements to the pure gospel of God's grace is a distortion. It's a twisting. It's no longer proclaiming truth. And to do that is to reject the gift of God for you. The thing is, it's really hard sometimes to recognize the dogs and the evildoers and the mutilators, the individuals who are desperately trying to hold on to power over other Christians by adding clauses to Christianity, people who are adding writers to redemptions or stipulations to salvation. It's so hard to recognize because oftentimes these individuals take the beautiful things we want to do as the beloved of God and make them conditions to being the beloved of God. It, it, I want to spend time in prayer becomes you have to spend time in prayer. I want to start my day in scripture becomes you have to start your day in scripture. I, don't get me wrong. These are good things and they're important for my continued growth. My, and they allow me to draw closer to God. They allow me to grow and, and enjoy and give me joy. But, but these are not how I am saved. And the reason it's so hard to recognize the dogs and the evildoers and the mutilators is because the things that are often emphasized are the things that transformed lives want to do. I said today's message is really simple. It's a singular point that we are the beloved of God because of Christ alone and adding requirements to the redemptive promise of Jesus who said, simply believe in me and you'll be able to spend eternity with me. Adding conditions to this truth distorts the gospel into something untrue. And Satan's strategy is to suck people away from the beauty of this simplicity by adding conditions we feel like should be there. The devil's strategy is to make things we want to do because we love the Savior into stipulations of our salvation. We're the beloved of God because of Christ alone, and we are saved for his sake and by his grace. We can try to rely on our own abilities, but that's just going to be a guaranteed fail. Living in the flesh without the Savior, just count it as a loss. It's worthless. It's dung. It's poo. The way to fully know and experience and live in the flesh as God intends, it's not trying, by trying to be righteous through the law. It's by becoming righteous through our faith, our faith in Christ. It's by receiving the power that only Christ provides, as it says in verse 10, the power that is available because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says this. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, what it says there is this. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, we have available to us the power of Christ so that we might have the joy of Jesus. Christ's power makes available to us Christ's gain. This gain, this joy, by the way, it's not absent suffering. 
It's not. It doesn't promise a removal of difficulty, but rather what it does is promise us that he's going to endure suffering with us, that Jesus is going to be there with us. We become a part of the gospel story with him. We become part of the Jesus narrative. We share in the suffering journey that Christ traveled so that we can be part of the joy he promises. So we're the beloved of God because of Christ alone, and we have available to us this power so that we can experience Jesus' joy. And to rely on anything, to add anything to that, is to introduce a gospel plus message, and a gospel plus message is not the gospel. I know it's pretty straightforward for a lot of folks who've been in church for a long time. The thing is this. As simple as this truth is, it is so prevalent in our world. A a gospel plus non-gospel it's all over the place. I was recently introduced to an IG account, an Instagram account called Letters from Rahab. And it speaks of the spiritual abuse and the sexual assault committed and covered up by a, the leadership in a church in Urbana-Champaign. Many of the stories when I read through that account, it relays ones of, uh, of conditions placed upon redemption by the leaders. Stories of how salvation became dependent upon submission to a person versus the Savior. Unfortunately, we saw some of that in our own church as well by our founding pastor. And I'll tell you these stories, they, they break my heart. Because this gospel plus message is not the gospel. It, it, and it unfortunately has scarred and scared and harmed so many people under the guise of truth. There, there are so many Dogs, evildoers, mutilators, there are so many who have taken the beauty of the simplicity of the gospel and made Christianity into a distorted, complex thing that Christ never intended. Disguised as guardians of truth, the dogs, evildoers, and mutilators, they, they have essentially, by trying to hold on to power, banished people who disagree with them or disobey them. People who disagree about things as simple as women serving as pastors or, or how to do baptism or how we interact with the LGBTQI community or, or how do we interact with Gen Zers. No one knows. So we are the beloved of Christ, God because of Christ alone. And this Bible, this Bible is the repository of our truth and we cling to it. And through this book that's been transmuted by fallible but spirit-inspired men, through this book, we can understand our place among other humans, among nature, the environment. We understand how we can become the beloved of God. The only thing is, history has shown us that this idea, this belief that truth comes from Scripture has led many Christians to do some really horrible things. From the Crusades in the Middle Ages to white supremacy movements that use the Bible to support the KKK, to institutionalize racism in organizations like Bob Jones University, to, to the proclamation by many pastors way back in the 80s and 90s that AIDS was God's punishment on gay people. And it's no wonder when you hear these things that the world looks at the church and thinks of us as the dogs and the evildoers and the mutilators. So how do we, as the beloved Avoid mutilating the beauty of the gospel into a deviation that God never intended it to be. How do we hold on to the truth of Christ's power that can lead us to Jesus' joy and not abuse the world in the process and hinder the witness of the gospel? How do, we, how do we look out for the dogs and the evildoers and mutilators 
And I tell you, I spent a lot of time thinking about and praying about how to answer that question for today. And, and I, I have a feeling that probably a lot of ideas that you all have, and hopefully I'll be able to hear them from you one day. But I want to just end with one idea, one suggestion. I think we can avoid mutilating the simplicity of the gospel by just listening. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Listen to the promise of Christ's power for Jesus' joy through the scripture. Listen to the warnings. Listen to the signs being given so that we can avoid those who are trying to conform God to their image versus the other way around. Listen to the people that God brings into your life. The diversity. Listen for the truth and learn from a diversity of voices that God's providing in your life. Get out of your echo chambers. See, this letter to the Philippians is Paul's exhortation to find joy, find their Jesus joy by the unity of their diversity through arguments and differences. And everything else that was happening, this church was being challenged to realize that together, they are a family united by one common truth. There is one Father, one Spirit, one Savior uniting them all. And through that unified diversity, they can find joy. So this is my challenge for us today. I'm going to ask that you seek out a diversity of voices. Don't let racism or classism, don't let social status, don't let arbitrary differences, do not let a desire for homogeneity dilute the beauty of a unified diversity. See, Christ broke down the barriers that the world creates to divide us. Please do not rebuild those walls. Seek the joy of Jesus by the power of Christ by listening. At this point, I'm going to ask the band to make their way back up on the stage. Now, today we get to celebrate communion, as I mentioned. And when we get together to engage in this act of devotion, it's intended to be a reminder, a reminder to the body of Christ of the sacrifice Jesus made with his body. Because we're in this time between uh, Jesus' resurrection and his ultimate return. And in this age, Jesus left instructions for us to continue this, this holy ritual, not, not as a duty, but as a reminder of God's grace. Because communion is intended to remind us that by trusting Jesus, we can draw near to the Father. It reminds us that we are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. It is an act for all those who call Jesus their Savior. To, to remember his, his sacrifice, to celebrate his resurrection, and to ultimately anticipate his glorious return. So for those of you who are watching from home, I'm going to ask you to grab your communion elements. If you're here and you have not received it, if you could just flag down uh, Hannah, she'll be sure to pass it on to you. I want us to start with prayer, though. To enter into this time of communion with confession so that we can remember that the grace this sacrifice purchased for us is not cheap. Let's pray. ask you to forgive us, to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. We ask you to restore our relationship with you. 
We know that we are your beloved children. We've, we've received you into our hearts. We've accepted your death as a penalty for our sinfulness. And now we ask that your spirit continue to transform us as we remember you and the gospel you brought with you. Amen. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says there, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks to it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, I'm going to take this bread broken. It represents Christ's body broken on the cross so that ours would not have to be. I'm going to ask you all here to take the top layer off of your communion cup. Um, There are two layers there. Take the wafer out, break it, and eat it in remembrance of our Savior. Continuing on in verse 25, it says this in the same way. Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And the cup that was poured out represents Christ's blood poured out on the cross so that ours wouldn't have to be. So I'm going to ask you to take off, if you're here, the second layer and drink from the cup in remembrance of our Savior. Finally, in verse 26, this is what it says. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus set you and me free from the bondage of sin by, by dying in our place. And so we will remember his ultimate sacrifice by continuing this sacred act until he returns. <laughs>